Welcome to House of Games, the podcast about games in general and game development in particular. With my guest remotely this time, Brune. Hello. We're doing the episode remotely instead of in person, as we have done before. Uh, since I'm currently in Stockholm and you, my co-host, is in Umeå. Yes. And soon I will be in Japan, so we have to keep doing these uh, remote episodes, I suppose. I think it's sort of a blessing and a curse because uh, in part it gives us uh, probably easier way to record episodes remotely and be able to record more. But at the same time, I think there's some chemistry that really can't be replicated when you're not in person. Mm. And especially when we don't even see each other. Yeah. But we get used to it. And also we are uh, currently making like a couple of fillers episodes since the studio floor is being renovated right exactly for some reason the studio that we're using had sort of an unannounced floor repair that will take about a month to do meanwhile we're doing some kind of filler episodes to flesh out the content more and maybe you the listeners get to know us the hosts uh, a little bit better yeah, the idea is to have guests uh, pretty much every episode, we hope, at least. But since we're doing this remotely now, we will just do a duo episode. And I don't know, we, we just had a small chat before we started recording what we should talk about. And as it turns out, I am currently bug testing my Red Colony series, which is getting a physical release in December, it says. But I guess that's up to me if I can... <laughs> fix these bugs so i guess that will be one of the topics today and then also we will talk about what we've been playing and uh, i don't know let's see where the conversation brings us i'm kind of interested with the the testing uh, because that i think is a topic that's uh, sort of of interest both to small indie developers and to big studios because because usually there's memes and there's jokes about Bethesda and other companies CG Project Red with the Cyberpunk recently where testing is I think I mean it's easy to say that some bugs in Skyrim or whatever game it might be that they should have just done more testing but I think it's like really difficult to to really try all use cases and find all bugs because it's really really dependent on like the system you're using and like the hardware you're you're using and uh, loads of factors and i understand it's uh, the same for you yeah it's a lot of work bug testing and it's funny because um I, I can't remember if i told you this like off air or if we talked briefly about it in one of the previous episodes but uh, whatever i'll I tell the story again uh, I remember when Red Colony 1 came out, you know, I've been bug testing the hell out of it. I, I reckon I could play through the entire game with blindfolders on and uh, not run into a single bug. And then it was released and I saw this guy from Japan he, who uploaded like GIFs or just short clips from the game where it just broke over and over and over again. Uh, and that sucks to see. But it just tells how, how hard it is to find all the bugs. And and think about Red Colony, it's a super linear game. I mean, it's just left to right all the time. And yet, we were unable to find all the bugs. 
so basically I'm doing debug testing myself and then I send it to my publisher it's like a two-man team one of them can sort of help with bug testing sometimes and it depends on his schedule so it's I mean we're only two three people tops that can bug test these games and we of course try everything but yet we can't find all the bugs so now I'm currently well we're about to release the physical release for the Red Colony trilogy and uh, I feel like they are more strict than a digital release because all these games were greenlit before so it's odd that we are doing the get the bug testing thing again and the bugs they're finding is just more complicated than before or the things they do to trigger the bugs are more complex and I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that it is a physical release that it should be a more uh, solid game that you shouldn't have to download some patch or something like that which is really cool in terms of uh, I mean for me personally I'm learning things by doing these bug testing things one of the bugs for example that was reported yesterday which I've been fixing today is that when you in Red Colony 3 there are like two locations where you can answer a phone call and there's a zombie nearby so if you answer the phone call just when you get attacked by a zombie she will well fight him off and then you sort of and then the zombie will just stand there and wait for the phone call to be over and that's just it looks silly but that's i mean what else can you do really so that's fine but if the player has only one health left which means that the second you answer the phone call and the zombie attacks you at the same time she will then die while talking on the phone and then it will take you to the game over scene screen and then you the, the game freezes you can't press on anything because the conversation is still active and the game is trying to find the next sort of button from a coding perspective so it's trying to reach that load button in the background and yeah the whole thing freezes so that kind of thing is of course i never try that and the craziest thing is that this this uh, like talk function it's in void update which means it updates every frame of the game so you have to be damn unlucky to trigger that bug like you, you talk to someone the same frame that the the zombie attack animation starts and then it's too late and you're frozen in that state and then the game you have to turn it off interesting it's uh, sort of sounds almost like penetration testing except for games but what is the conversation with Nintendo, I assume it is? Are you getting like emails or do you have like meetings with them or how, how is that uh, like process for you? Well, from what I've heard and understand, Nintendo are the pickiest company when it comes to these things, which I think is also a good thing. Uh, if Of course, this sucks being in this quagmire. <laughs> this bug testing period has been for like two months. So let's say I fix a couple of bugs, I send it to my publisher who then upload it to some, I don't know. This is the, the stuff I don't really know, uh, the publishing bits, but I, I imagine it's some sort of Steam client, but for Nintendo. So let's say it's some sort of Nintendo portal. So they maybe upload it there and someone from Nintendo plays the game, find the bugs, they report to the, my publisher and then they email me all in, in Japanese because my publisher is in Japan and this physical release in particular is Asia only so we're in only sort of in touch with the Japanese uh, Nintendo crew I don't really talk to them directly it's via the publisher which can also be quite frustrating sometimes when they explain a bug I, I can't 
find it because it's not explained properly or yeah sometimes you sort of need to have a, sometimes they will send like a video as well when they bug test it so you can see look at this video and then they will point out where the bug is and then you have to go in there and fix it sometimes i can't because maybe they done something that i didn't do when i played it and some bugs can be triggered like 10 minutes prior to whatever footage you get so it's sometimes it's really really hard to figure out how they triggered it and even though they explain it i tried the same way and it doesn't happen for me that's uh it's tricky yeah, I was uh, actually going to ask uh, about that, like for screenshots and videos and stuff, because I work with testing in regular IT. I always try to embed a GIF or a video or something, because th I think it can be really hard for developers to understand like what the, the issue is or why it is an issue without some kind of visual representation. And, and sometimes I know even people in the testing business, sometimes when they aren't as organized as maybe you should be, that you could just write that something is uh, like this text is too big or this just doesn't work and no extra description. And w when something just doesn't work, it's not, not enough uh, of a description. So something that seems appropriate for the developer might not seem appropriate for user so that's uh, sort of a really really difficult thing to like get every time i suppose yeah and that's the thing you can tell when you're working with people who knows sort of gaming more like in depth they will they're pretty good at pointing things out like that like how or, or they can sometimes even give a theory why they think it, this bug was triggered but if you work with someone who doesn't really know how to code or how to make games at all that's when that can happen when they say this doesn't work and then it's like yeah what is not working <laughs> because the person who's bug testing it or whatever doesn't really know how games are being made so uh, you can tell when when some like a professional bug tester is testing your game versus just i don't know someone who's not as uh, experienced and another cool, uh, fun, weird thing, I suppose, is that you have different bug testers for different regions as well, as far as I can tell. Because the Red Colony 3, when that came out digitally, it was uh, greenlit in Europe slash America, but not in Japan. And that was also kind of weird. So I suppose that's like different teams depending on where the game is released. I do hope, f moving forward, that things will become more universal there's so much work just to make different games for different regions with all this sort of pg pgi rating boards and the the context in uh, the contents in the game you know some regions want to censor it others are fine with it so it would be cool if i don't know the digital space was more like international water sort of like anything goes or you know there's like the rules apply same everywhere but unfortunately that's not the case and it's just like so much extra work especially as a indie dev to make your game playable in all regions i think uh, in any industry uh, even the one uh, that i am in i think bureaucracy and uh, government uh, is usually the last people to innovate when it comes to like IT or uh, entertainment industries so I think that's also really hard to to fix yeah yeah but yeah it's kind of strange because in the digital space because for example knife boy which is coming out I don't know in a couple of months maybe it's translated to Chinese and uh, well traditional Chinese and uh, what's that one called simplified Chinese so 
the one for Taiwan and the one for main, main China. Then I believe it's in China where you're not allowed to show intestines. And Knife Boy, he can slice through enemies. And that's like... Uh, or is it bones? I think this is a, a Buddhist thing. It yeah, I think it does ring a bell when you say, say like bones. Because I remember... I think World of Warcraft had a similar issue where you're not allowed to show like religious symbols or something and like magic and like for example animated skeletons are considered some kind of uh, you know r religion or affiliated thing so they had to censor that and just give them like full torsos instead of having like visible rib cages yeah uh, so yeah that's uh, that, that's the issue with uh, knife boy but we said or at least I think we are not gonna release it there but i mean it's translated to chinese so if you're from china you can still you know use a vpn and download it and this is sort of my point that it's so easy to get access to everything anyway even uh, in china which is sort of uh, uh, the internet is you know it's it's not the same as other places but you can still get access to the things you want if you really want it so that that's also a bit odd. That's a bit weird. It's kind of like in the states, you're not allowed to drink in the in public. But if you put it in a paper bag, it's fine. We all know what's in the paper bag. But <laughs> exactly, it, yeah. it, it's so easy to circumvent the rules, uh, which makes it I don't know, kind of weird, or or just like I don't know. I guess because I'm making it games for me, it's just annoying, and I wish it wasn't like that because it's just yeah, it's just annoying. Yeah, exactly. But for me also, I'm sort of a free speech absolutist. So to me, I think that especially when with games that are like very, very non-essential for society, I think that you should be able to just publish things as is, assuming it's functional, of course. But And then people could just decide to buy it or not buy it. You know, it feels to me like... Uh, without having published a title yet but it feels to me that they put like too much value into the individual games that go on stores so they think that if a game it doesn't meet this or that standard then that reflects badly on the whole like platform which it shouldn't in my opinion at least true i like you say games are not uh, what did you say non-essentials things for society it's non-essential for society i mean if uh, hypothetically some kind of emp would wipe out all game companies in the world i mean sure we'd have a problem with the unemployment so that would be bad but i think like there's n nobody would die from not being able to play games therefore you should be able to like experiment with it and do whatever you want in my opinion it's uh, i have a really weird <laughs> conspiracy theory about uh, about all of that I haven't really thought it out, but I can sort of, uh, well, say it now, what I was thinking. And that, that is that games are super essential to society in the way that if we are moving towards a matrix, so in this conspiracy theory of mine, I, I, I'm sort of thinking, you see all these game companies buying up as much as they can, just gobbling up everything. And then I was like, that's kind of weird. And then I'm thinking, like, imagine if we are moving towards this sort of uh, matrix society then you probably want to be the game company that owns most games the, the the game company that owns most games also owns the most universes where people want to live their lives once we switch over to this matrix and in that way you become like the new real society let's say playstation wins this battle 
and everyone goes to PlayStation and then we all connect to the PlayStation VR 10 and then we just becomes these batteries used to make like this Matrix movie reference but we don't have to become Matrix uh, batteries but just you know we spend more times in games than we do in the real world which is definitely the case with a lot of people already but imagine if that becomes the standard and then you I actually made a drawing of this many years ago maybe 10 years ago I just had these a bunch of cylinders with old people in and then they had like this visa card like a credit card uh, inserted to this cylinder and then the idea of this painting was that when you retire you just hook yourself up to this uh, virtual reality and that credit card is just keeps ticking and then when you run out of money there's like this spike on top of the cylinder that would just like basically kill you and then it it, it dumps you <laughs> and then it just dumps you into this uh, ocean. <laughs> Holy shit. I can send you a picture if I can find it. Anyway, so that was... Um, so I'm just, so I like to think yeah, that the, the game companies want to become that major platform where people live their digital lives. And in that sense, games are super essential and it's super important that you are liked to get people to hook up to your world. But then there's another cool or weird theory in my conspiracy theory when games are becoming censored and stuff like that. For example, nudity is something we censor a lot. That means like in this new reality of ours, nudity is no more, you know, like because it's com it will eventually become completely erased from human history and other things too, of course. Yeah, that's just uh, one of many weird conspiracy theories that I like to think about sometimes. But yeah, it's... Uh, I wonder. Oh my God! There's the picture. <laughs> yeah. Damn. We yes we mm. let's do this as the uh, thumbnail for the episode. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. But uh, then let me offer a counterpoint to that point. I would say that my sort of estimation of how things are gonna be going going forward is that there it's gonna be. Sure, in some sense you have like the metaverse and other similar efforts to just try to corporatize everything and just make it bigger and more unified into a single, you know, mega entity at some point. But uh, on the end, other end of that spectrum, you also have things like the indie game revolution. Like in the last couple of years, uh, the threshold for publishing a game and making a living out of it, from uh, what I could see at least... Uh, has become smaller and smaller so that means that in the past i mean if you look at the the number of people who could produce a game and release it in the say 70s was really 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 tiny piece of society yeah that's true that's true though with the uh, more people can publish their games and all that uh, which leads into another i wouldn't say this is a conspiracy theory but I w something i worry about though with that uh, and this is also one of the things I think about a lot, but I haven't never really said it out loud, so I'm not sure if I will be able to make a point of it. I probably need to um, sort of practice saying it. But yeah, in the past, it was difficult or impossible to publish a game unless you had a publisher and tons of money, especially if you go back to the Nintendo 8-bit and 16-bit era when you had to buy the cartridges and all that from Nintendo and so on but now uh, I think the the golden era for indies are sort of not dead but it's 
I always think, imagine if I released the Red Colony games, for example, eight years ago, or when PlayStation 3 had their online store. Remember, like, Pixel, Pixel Junk, uh, was it Pixel Junk? Oh, what a Monster Junk, oh, those games. They sold like butter because it was new, it was fresh. And, uh, like, the, the horse uniform in Oblivion, I believe, it was $5 for a uniform to your horse. And they sold tons of them. Because this was like sort of new and fresh and cool. And I remember back then too, especially with PlayStation 3, I would just buy every online game that came out because there were very few. And when once it come out, came out, I was like, yeah, I'll totally try it. So now the market is so overflooded that it's almost, I almost feel like we have uh, gone full circle. And now you need a publisher again to, for like, I'll have a tiny publisher, but if you have a, a little bit bigger publisher, you know, they can go in with a lot of, uh, you know, they have the, the, the contacts, they have the, the, the money to, to promote your game and all that stuff. So I, I, part of me feel like we're almost going back to like th that point again, where you need a publisher again to, to have a chance to, to sell something. Now, granted, you can still publish your games. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it uh, with a, a tiny publisher, but also before I had a publisher, I, I published some games. So you can, of course, do it. And if your games are really good, they will probably speak for themselves. So uh, so I'm sort of uh, putting an end to my own theory here that you need a publisher. But at the same time, you sort of need a publisher because it's getting so hard to to get recognized when there's so many games coming out all the time. Yeah. Well, I would say, so there is, uh, uh, this was the guy, I think, who made Slime Farmer. Uh, his name is uh, uh, Nick Popovich. Sorry for if I butchered that name. But uh, he uh, did a GDC talk called Making Games That Stand Out and Survive from 2019. So what he opened the talk with was that he said that you are, as a developer, you are not only competing with... Uh, all of the other games that are released on Steam, which is like over a thousand a day or something, I think. And you're also, besides that, you're competing with Netflix, you're competing with going outside, you're competing with quality time with uh, friends and family. But I think maybe I'm uh, foolishly optimistic having not released a game yet. But I think that that's not necessarily true. I mean, Sure, there are times when you rather watch Netflix than play a specific game because it's not good enough. There are like a thousand games that are released every day on Steam. But I think still, because there are uh, a lot of games, anyone can make uh, like a, literally make a JPEG and re release it as a game on itch.io called the game. But I think if you have creativity and a niche idea and something that nobody else has quite done before or you improve upon some concepts that nobody has done before I think there still is opportunity because even if there are a thousand games released on Steam every day many of them are asset flips that will never like reach anywhere because there is no creativity in it and just because of the numbers there's they don't get like the majority of the traffic anyway there's uh, probably a handful of games that get like real big traffic say so i think even though 
I mean, and also that goes with publishers as well, having not had any experience with them. So take this with a grain of salt. But I think, yes, that probably publishers are a way to just uh, get a step up all over the asset flips and everyone who makes trash or <laughs> less uh, professional games, I suppose. But I think so. Maybe my history is uh, off on this, so anyone can correct me if they want. But Minecraft, for example, they just did a... a really early uh, release i think they released with the alpha they had very little functionality and just they just built over that for a long long time and i don't at least i don't remember that they've had like a specific publisher or something that uh, the way i heard about it was from a friend who just played it on his laptop then it just spread like uh, word of mouth and then like wildfire because he had like a niche idea that I would say is probably because the market and technologies have developed so much that you can just uh, create your own game and just release it and then if it's really good then there is a chance that it will get lots of attention in my mind at least yeah no you you, you had some good points there there were like three things you said that I reacted to but I forgot what it was but uh, point is there were uh, yeah good point good point i i feel like I, i'm taking mine back a little bit but th when you said maybe we're back to where you need a publisher to stick out from all the assets flips that's uh that's a good uh way of putting it i suppose because you're right that we need to make uh like all the games have already been done so you really make have to make something niche um when i uh, there's two things here one thing that sucks is that when you make a game, hmm, let me think, you don't want to make a game just to hope it will sell. Of course you want it to sell, but you still want to make a game because you're passionate about it. But if that passion is not niche enough, it might not sell at all, which is just unfortunate. Because if it doesn't sell enough, then you will never be able to to turn it into a career or something like that. So that's something to keep in mind, and that kind of sucks, but that's just, you know, the reality. But also, you need to make... When I think about making games, I usually think about making games that I would like to play. So the, the Red Colony series, which I think is quite niche, I mean, it's like Bachelor versus Resident Evil versus B-movie from the 80s or something like that. It's just like this, it's almost like a silly 2D horror game. And I would love if someone else made that types of games. Not too long, not too short, and just like a kind of wacky story. That would be awesome. But you know, that's why I made them, because I, I just never seen anyone else make, make that kind of game. And of course, making the games were super fun, especially writing the story. Uh, I feel like, because I do feel like it's quite niche, not super niche, but... But they help though, because I feel like there is a quite hardcore Red Colony fan, what do you call, community that picked up all three games. I mean, you can see that on the sales that, of course, they got less and less from each game. But still, whoever played the third game probably played the first one. And that would be like the, the sort of hardcore audience that really enjoy these types of games. And I would love to keep making these games. But, you know, I, I'm a developer and I'm not like a, I want to try different things. But so that's true that if you make something niche it will probably help you but at the same time it sucks that you have to think like that because you kind of want to make whatever you want to make 
uh, or at least I hope that's how, how people make games and not just thinking about making money, which probably a lot of people do when you look at the asset flips games, uh, sort of simple stuff like that. Still, exactly that was so what I was uh, gonna come to, that if you make something niche, then you have a really good opportunity to bring something uh, new and maybe sell a lot of games. But uh, I also believe that making games that you would want to play yourself is the best way forward. Um, I think also, I think we sometimes forget that video games in general are quite a young industry. So I don't know the exact date, but say if you really, really stretch it, maybe you could say like the first game was Pong, was it in the 50s or 60s or something? But that's uh, not even a hundred years. But, and uh, so I think that you shouldn't, not use it specifically, but uh, people in general shouldn't uh, underestimate the, like the number of things that you can create and the things that you, like the stories you can tell and stuff. If you look at the medium of books, for example, uh, how old is that? I don't know, 5,000 years, maybe? And still, uh, today, not some other year, but this, uh, today and this year, and continuously, is the year that we printed more books. I think more, like in the last 12 months, there's more books printed than ever before in history, something like that, or it was more like uh, published books or something. And there's still, there's, I, I would say that nobody would claim that books are out of ideas. Because even if you have uh, like stories that's been done before, you have the classic tropes of man versus nature, man versus self, and so on. But there's still you can make new twists on it, and you can improve something, and you can also take ideas that maybe were old or have been like overused, but take those ideas from a long time ago and then just reinvent them for a new audience uh, of today, and. Again, I, I agree that uh, it would be great if you could just make the games that you want to make, but you have to uh, sort of innovate and make a new twist on it. But at the same time, you could see it sort of as a blessing because you have to improve upon yourself. You can't just make something that already exists or something that's uh, already been done the exact same way. You have to make it better uh, or make your own twist on it. Uh, American McGee's Alice, I think, is a really good uh, example of that. So the story of Alice in Wonderland is by this time sort of an old story, but when he did it, I think in the was it early early two thousands, I think. But then he released uh, American McGee's Alice, but he did sort of a dark twist on it. So instead of uh, just being like this uh, everyday girl who just falls down a rabbit hole and then realizes as at the end that she's uh, dreaming so instead she's a schizophrenic and just imagines all those things but it's sort of caused by the death of her family and lots of other stuff so the whole story is a lot darker but that is sort of an old story because that's been done before but it's sort of still unique so it is a blessing and a curse but uh, i would i would say as the consumers, we're much better off for it because we have so much options for just about anything. That's true. And also, um, I'm, I'm thinking like um, another problem when you have to make something niche or unique to stick out from the masses is that that's also a risk to do that. Because you, even though we gamers like to say this is art and all that stuff, 
I feel like we are usually going back to the same types of games and the the sort of the best selling games are usually the most mainstream sort of military shooters or I don't know the the games that seems to do as little as possible to do something new or if you look at like uncharted 1 2 3 4 they're all somewhat samey and and I'm not saying that like for example my games Red Colony 1 2 3 they're very samey all three of them obviously but you know Tomb Raider Uncharted Gears of War like they are playing the cards safe to to make them sell but I do also think that sometimes you have these uh, like the Elden Ring for example that's not wouldn't be considered a mainstream game and that's just selling like crazy and people love it so yeah it's and if you look at uh, Mi Minecraft as well no one could have expected or assumed that that would sell anything and then it's just one of the biggest game of all time and the second biggest games of all time is Grand Theft Auto 5 and that I would say is you know it's not trying something super different it's just like a really damn good game and of course you can look at the game itself and say well it's totally doing different things comparing to Grand Theft Auto 1, 2, 3, 4 or Saint Rose or other similar games but it, I don't know it's I guess this conversation I start with some some theory or or an argument about something which I sort of went back on and, and took it back and then we have given like five different examples of <laughs> how things can go and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't so now it's almost like it it is what it is it's sort of in the end of the day things are just what it is but i think also the the point that you're touching on that like the big games they usually do play it safe and usually stick to the same formula uh, i mean look at the call of duty games for example but I think that's also just a symptom of the industry being very young. Because uh, let's not forget that in like uh, your my circle or your circle or friends, we do play games and usually most of us do play games. But that is kind of a new thing. If I would uh, talk to my parents and ask them how many are in their like friend circles or people they know or acquaintances play games, then I would say probably none of them, or maybe one or two out of a hundred. So I think if you look at other mediums, uh, as I said before, books, they've been around for a long time, so they sort of saturated society. So there's nobody who's just never read a book in my circles. And uh, if you look at movies, the same thing. Everybody watches movies. Uh, and I think you maybe this will take 200 years, I don't know. <laughs> but at some point, I think video games also will saturate the entire of society. So at that point, uh, I mean, right now you have a, like a specified class of people that are called gamers and they have a, like a specific taste and that's wha what like the big games cater to. But I would say if you would saturate the entire society because I think there is value in games for everyone everyone probably has something that they like or some way that they like some people maybe like puzzle games other people like story games other people like very difficult games but i think if video games would saturate the entire society you would probably have a much much larger market and therefore uh, you would be able to do very niche things or you would maybe be able to do something that's cater to something that probably wouldn't sell today but if the market is bigger then there's just more tastes and 
uh, even if your game isn't one of the big ones it doesn't matter because you can still make an average game and make a really good living on it the same way that you can on like a book or uh, movies for example but i think just the market is too small still so that you have to be sort of one of the top games to really really make it yeah or like i mentioned before when things are new it tend to be i mean i think uh, street fighter 3 on the nintendo switch sold tons of copies and you know peop- that games has been around forever and the switches you know it was just a new flashy device people wanted to play games on it i dabble a lot in the crypto space and that was i mean now before it crashed it was just like new coins every day and the hype was just every coin just skyrocketed and then crash soon after but that's like uh, the crypto space uh, has been at least for uh, and up until now i think uh, like the wild west there's just uh, you know there's uh, i icos and there's uh, you know no control and some people fail some people succeed succeed and there's just uh, but i think that's um, I, I agree that i i do enjoy like being in those like periods of times those small slivers of uh, when something is completely new but it is also sort of a double-edged sword i think because it's nice if you are in the in group that does produce uh, the things that is sort of a protected market but it's not as nice for for example other people trying to get in that uh, have like a really high threshold or for the consumer i mean sure i think even in the beginning there was great games on switch but i think more games and more choices are better for consumers because that means i mean the competition is tougher but uh, that's uh, something the customer enjoys i suppose even if that's uh, harder on the people producing games so it's uh, hard to, for me to say which one i would prefer yeah i mean it's because I, I i tend to think that like when i lived in tokyo i always compared it to living inside the internet it's like you walk outside and you ask yourself what am i gonna do today everything is there it's just so wacky it's the same thing you can do online it's like what weird stuff am i gonna do today and then you know it's there whatever it is but i was so fascinated in tokyo you walk like this strain like this alleyway into another alleyway and then this small street and then in a corner of a building it's like a three square feet bar and it's packed with people i mean it only fit like three people in there but it's always people there and it's like man that's so cool that this business can survive on like three customers at the time because that's all that fits in there and this is a a a true story about this uh, bar i went to three uh, seats uh, or stand-up seats so you couldn't sit but you had to stand up it's all that fit in this bar and it's like wow this this is a niche thing and he he has his regulars and that's enough for him to survive and I think that when I, uh, I sort of think about my career with games, if I'm going to keep making them myself and so on, I have that sort of uh, idea too. Like I, I just wish, I just hope that I can have regulars, but it's not the same thing because I don't want to do the same games over and over again. I want to do all types of games, but I do hope somewhere that I get, somehow that I get some regulars that will always sort of be up to date with what I'm working on and sort of be like, ah, oh, Runicos is releasing a game again. I- I'm going to check it out because I-, I enjoyed uh, Knife Boy or whatever. Because that could then help sort of keep the company alive 
you know, I'm I'm alone, so you know, it's it it is what it is. But I never really think anymore that those days when when you could release almost anything, like I said, a, a horse costume for five bucks is the amount of money they they made on that is insane. Or a lot of their early games that yeah, some of them I guess were quite unique in many ways. But my point is, I think that we will see. You, you will have the sort of AAA industry that will make games based on statistics and based on algorithms just to sort of hook you. And then I think you will have the, the, the indie scene is the one that will bring new ideas to the table. But I do fear, or I don't necessarily fear it, but I do think that these sort of Minecraft stories will be less and less, even though they are quite few, I suppose. But you usually hear about those crazy indie devs that just made the biggest games since sliced bread but I feel like it's getting harder and harder to make those games because it's so much competition but I do hope that a lot of indie devs can just sort of feel fine in having a small audience that just keeps your passion alive so you don't have to think oh, I want to make this game but it's not gonna sell enough or whatever. I will never be able to expand as a studio or something like that. So I do hope that uh, that uh, indie devs, or I, I sort of think that's where indie devs will find their place eventually, that they will have their regulars and they will make niche things that maybe eventually they can make enough profits to make, make bigger games. But I do think as soon as you make more money and you can make, make bigger games, you will play it more safe because the, the losses are more extreme. So I'm not sure what my point is, but it's just, uh, yeah. The, oh yeah, I was gonna say, cause you, you said that there are not enough gamers yet, but you know, imagine when everyone else is playing games too. Well, then you also have more competition and more game studios making games to to compete for customers to play them and so on uh, so my point here was to say that uh, i do hope that we will see indie devs just surviving based on their regular customers so to speak because then uh, i think from that greater things can happen like imagine you have some weird indie dev doing something quite unique but the game is not quite there yet you kind of want to hope that he can make another game and then he gets it right and that thing he did in that game will have such an impact on other games even the AAA space that those studios implement it and so forth so i i hope that will happen that yeah more more gamers will play and so on interesting so i have uh, two anal analogies for uh why i'm still optimistic i think um, so the first one is for the game developer and the second one is for the consumer. So why I'm optimistic about video games and for game in the uh, developers is I would say that so I thought to myself as you were talking about so is it more difficult to make like really games that explode or will it become more and more difficult or easier? And to me, I think video games are a bit like books actually. So the, the way they're similar is that both books and video games are sort of the threshold to making either books or video games has been lower and lower. So at the beginning, there's just a few, few people who are even literate in what, uh, even how to make them or read them or understand them. And then uh, the threshold has been uh, with the printing press and like the home computer, the, the way to make video games has become easier and easier. 
And if you look at, uh, for example, somewhat uh, semi-recent uh, in the history of books, uh, Harry Potter. Uh, so there's uh, like a really unknown author who just had a, a good idea and just exploded uh, like no one has done for a really, really long time. Uh, and I think the same is uh, probably possible as well uh, with games because uh, the way to make games you don't for example movies uh, I thought about it uh, if that's become easier or harder and I think that hasn't really changed that much because you still need to employ people and you know you can't do it by yourself but as with books with games the technologies are becoming a lot a lot cheaper and easier and computer hardware is getting better and better so you can make more and more all by yourself so i think there there is uh, from my perspective at least some optimism that i mean going forward that you can make something really explode although i would say that your idea of having regulars and making like a good living on uh, games is probably what people should aim for i think maybe we're overemphasizing like the big ones too much and just having a, a good regular crowd is also like acceptable and fine and can even be great, I think. Yeah, I do think that uh, the expectation of expectations of being the next Minecraft is quite in people's minds. But somewhere, I think, yeah, if you have your regulars or or you make enough to to get by, that's a pretty nice place to find yourself in because then you can work with your what you're passionate about and you have. And then, like you said, that could eventually lead to, to bigger things. But yeah, it's it's good fun just to be able to, to make what you like. And if you find, uh, and as more people play games, you know, more people might find your games and so on. So, yeah. Here's my uh, last analogy for the consumer, why you should be happy as a consumer. So there was this king, I think his was, name was Louis the Sixteenth. I think the, the last king before uh, the French Revolution. Anyway, the story goes that uh, every night he would, for dessert after dinner, he would have 40 bakers make him a unique dessert and he would pick one of them and they would just throw away the other 39. Compared to the rest of the people, he was infathomably rich to be able to do just one thing like that but if you compare it to today you can walk into any grocery store and have like the same selection of items and even more than he had uh, at his time which means in one way we're richer now and we're able to like experience more than a king did back in the day so we're sort of more like kings now uh, so in the same way I think in the for example 70s if you would want to buy like 10 games that would probably cost uh, a lot of money compared to what it does now and i think the what you have to choose from as a consumer is better and better and the quality gets better and better and the price gets lower so i think also from the consumer perspective there is uh, also like uh, reason to be uh, optimistic i think I think we've uh, gone like over an hour almost. Yeah, close to an hour. Uh, it was fun. Very good discussion, I think. We started with some <laughs> some weird conspiracy theory that the game companies are buying up everything just so they can create a matrix for us to live in. And then 
it led into indie games versus mainstream. Yeah, that was good. Should we wrap it up for this episode? Maybe we can. Hmm. Speaking of uh, like selling games and stuff, do you want to plug? Uh, where can they find you? How do you get updated about your latest releases and news? And as I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm not really online that much, but I do have a Twitter account, so there's at, at Rune Codes, and uh, at Rune She Storm. That's where you can find updates. Yeah, when I have them. So, hmm. and you? Well, it's uh, yeah, exactly. I. Uh, I am even less online than you, I think. I don't even have a Twitter. But I do have a blog. So my URL, if you want to read about, I'm making a small game uh, together with my brother. So that, I, I you can find me at uh, medium.com at uh, Otto Vretling. So that's spelled O-T-T-O-W-R-E-T-L-I-N-G. So that's where you can find my blog and some updates on what I'm b- developing and stuff. All right, Odo, nice talking to you this time. Should we close the door for today's episode? Think so. Yeah, all right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.